So this really is, it is really, truly, it's one of, I think, one of the most, uh, uh, I hate to use the word miraculous, but it's, it's really a, a truly powerful story that we're going to be looking at tonight. And uh, it's about Peter, who, of course, was one of the apostles, and a woman named Tabitha. Um, and because this story was recorded by Luke, um, the story is told in the Bible in third person. In other words, Peter did this, Tabitha did that, etc. But I really want to set this story up in a unique way. And so I'd like to tell this story with some context and from the point of view of Peter himself. Peter obviously had had an amazing journey up to this point. And I hope that that you will be able to, um, to join me in the spirit in which this story is being told, that you will be able to hear Peter tell his story leading up to the verses that we're going to be reading tonight. So much has happened in the last decade. 10 years ago, I was spending my days fishing for tilapia in the Sea of Galilee with my brother, Andrew. And then everything changed for us. Andrew introduced me to Jesus. And as you know, the rest is history. Before we knew it, we had gone from casting nets for sardines to fishing for men. I still remember the first time Jesus said that to me. I was going to be a fisher of men. I admit, I had no idea what he meant by that. And it turned out Andrew didn't really get it either, but both of us were just too proud to admit it, uh, that we didn't understand. So instead, we just kept walking with Jesus. We kept walking everywhere with Jesus. For three years, we walked and walked and walked. And you know, fishermen don't walk very much on their boats. I was used to standing all day, but for the first year with Jesus, my feet were covered with blisters. You know, the funny thing is, even though I, I saw him heal people almost every day, it, it never really dawned on me to ask him to heal my feet. You know, go figure. Although there was that one time when I walked on water. I'm sure you heard about that. And I'm kind of famous around these parts for that. Anyway, every day was a new adventure as Jesus would do something amazing. And then he would follow it up by saying something that would upset the Pharisees or the Sadducees or somebody else who was important. And then just when I thought I was finally catching on, I thought I'm finally understanding what we're doing and why we're doing it. Our whole world turned upside down. We got to Jerusalem and had an amazing Passover meal together. All of the disciples were together. And I remember reclining by that table, thinking how great it was that all of us were together. All of us were with him, with Jesus. But before the sun rose the next day, everything had changed. We witnessed Judas betraying Jesus and for a lousy 30 pieces of silver. 
Jesus got arrested and I cut a man's ear off. And that wasn't even the worst thing I did that night. You know, I often wonder what would have happened if Jesus had not healed that man's ear? Would they have crucified me with him? You know, I don't know, but I'll tell you by the end of the next day, part of me wished that were true because we had to watch as Jesus was tortured and beaten and then crucified right there at Golgotha, right outside the holy city. Do you realize that from that cross, Jesus could have seen the temple, the place he loved so much, his father's house. And when he cried out his last, the sky turned black and the ground shook. And then he was gone. And there was no sound except the sound of Mary, Jesus' mother, crying for her son. That was a Friday. And the next day, Saturday, I think was the longest day of my life. You see, I questioned everything I had seen, heard, and even done for the last three years. How could Jesus be dead? How could he be gone? But of course, you know what happened on Sunday. Jesus was alive, and it, it was as if I had my life back, or maybe it would be better to say I had a new life. And the next month or so, it was just crazy. And I think I learned more about God in those few weeks than the whole rest of my life combined. And then Jesus was gone again. But this time, we weren't afraid. We were excited. I, I wish you could have been with me in that upper room. I still remember the look on Andrew's face as the fire appeared in the room. And we all just stood there as it separated and moved towards each one of us. You know, I don't know why, but I held my breath. I mean, think about it. It was fire, not water. How was holding my breath going to help? But oh man, that first time I experienced the Holy Spirit, whew, it would have taken my breath away if I had had any in my lungs. That's a day I will never, ever forget. I started preaching and lives started changing. All of us knew it was God and not me, but 3,000 souls were saved right there on that street in Jerusalem that day. You know, I can hardly believe it, but that was over seven years ago. Seven years since that day, the, the church has grown like crazy. Uh, we started creating groups and, and they, they started meeting in people's homes. Uh, those groups teach each other about Jesus and they celebrate the Lord's Supper and they pray together and they eat meals together. I wonder if anyone will be doing that 2,000 years from now. Anyway, so much other stuff has happened too. God gave us the power to heal people, and, and we have gotten to heal so many. There were even people who got healed just because they walked in my shadow. Now, you talk about the temptation to be prideful. 
That was a tough one. Now we've been arrested and released. We've seen awesome miracles as a result of prayer alone. Hey, do you remember that day I told Ananias and Sapphira that they had lied to the Holy Spirit and they both dropped dead? I tell you what, no one was more surprised by that deal than I was. But what was even more amazing is the church kept growing. And the more we have grown, the more we have been persecuted. And then came Stephen. Ah, you would have loved Stephen. Everyone loved Stephen. He was so kind and so gentle. He loved those widows so very much. It was so evident. And to die the way he did, well, I guess I never really thought one of us would die that way. For so many years, the Lord supernaturally protected us. It makes me wonder if that time of protection has ended. It makes me wonder how long will it be before someone kills me too? But you know what? Let them come. I know where I'm going to spend eternity. So God's will be done. Having said that, I'm not quite sure what to think about this news about Saul. Sometimes I'm not sure who hates us more, Ananias the high priest or Saul of Tarsus. You know, when Saul had Stephen killed, I thought maybe he was just the person assigned by Ananias and the freedmen to make sure that deal got done. But when I saw Saul's eyes and they were so full of hate and determination, I knew he was different somehow, and, and I was right. Saul has almost single-handedly chased the way out of Jerusalem. Many of us, like me, were warned by the Holy Spirit to leave Jerusalem before Saul caught us. And I suspect many of our new disciples were told the same by the Holy Spirit, too. They were probably just too scared to hear him. But run, they did. Many were captured. Many are still in prison. Many have gone home to be with the Lord. I will tell you that some followers were angry that Jesus would let his people be persecuted like this. You know, but it, it actually makes sense to me. The way was growing and slowly making its way around the known world. But our group was still mostly in Jerusalem, <laughs> but not anymore. We are everywhere now. You will find followers of Jesus almost everywhere you go, even the uttermost parts of the world. Uttermost parts of the world. I, I remember when Jesus said those words too. And I remember thinking, who is going to volunteer to go to the uttermost parts of the world? Well, I guess Jesus wasn't waiting for volunteers. He let Saul drive us there. Now hundreds, even thousands of disciples are in the uttermost parts of the world. And now I've received news that Saul, the one who's been chasing us down, hunting us, even killing us, I've gotten news that Saul is preaching Jesus you know, I wouldn't believe it at all. It, it, at first, I thought it must be some kind of a trap. 
But Barnabas said it's true. Honestly, I'm having a little trouble believing it, but I have seen stranger things in the last 10 years. As for me, I left Jerusalem as well, but my journey has not been quite so extreme as the uttermost parts of the world. Until recently, I was in Lydda. Uh, my whole life, I, I always thought of Lydda as a prosperous, holy city. You know, I traveled there once many years ago to buy new nets for my boat. And even though the city is a crossroads for people traveling from Babylon to Egypt, I remember thinking how many devout Jews were there. Now, I'm, I'm not really a city guy, but if I were, I remember thinking that Lydda might be a good city to live in. I will tell you, Lydda is not that way anymore. Romans are everywhere and the Jews seem angry now. So many other cities are being renamed. It makes me wonder when the name of Lydda will change. It also makes me wonder how the Hebrews will respond to that change. Our people are not exactly known for being flexible. But the trip to Lydda was actually a good one. Uh, I met a, a man named Aeneas while I was there and he was paralyzed. So I told him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. And like so many before him, he was healed by God right there on the spot. And after Aeneas was healed, people not just in Lydda, but also in Sharon as well, saw him and believed in Jesus. Truthfully, I, I needed that. It sure helps to keep the faith when God shows up so big. That's one of the things I love about our God. He is not afraid to show everyone who he is, and he is awesome. Well, when my time in Lydda was done, the Lord called me to Joppa. Well, actually, it was two disciples who came and got me in Lydda to bring me here. But the Holy Spirit did tell me to go with them. You know, the first thing I did when we got to town was stop just for a moment at the cliffs. If you've not been here, the city sits high up on a hill and it looks out over the sea. It's truly beautiful. The sun glinting off the water and the rocks all wet with foam. The smell of salt in the air. The sound of waves crashing against the cliffs and the birds cawing. So much of my life was spent on the water. I miss it sometimes. But I don't have time to reminisce today. See, I'm here because of Tabitha. Although only the Jews call her that, everyone else called her by her Greek name, Dorcas. I don't know why, but that name Dorcas always makes me smile. It's, it's kind of a funny name. But today is not a funny occasion, anything but. The disciples told me that Tabitha got sick and died. And Tabitha was amazing, always helping someone, always feeding the poor. And she was this amazing seamstress. You should have seen the clothes and the robes that she would make. She could even take the most plain fabric and, and somehow make it beautiful. So today is a somber day. 
honestly, I'm not quite sure what people are expecting of me. Perhaps they want me to do the eulogy. I, I would be honored to do that for a woman as godly as Tabitha was. But somehow I think God may have a different plan. When you serve the Lord, every day is an adventure. And I can feel the Holy Spirit with me as we approach the two-story home that Tabitha lived in. I guess we will all soon see what God has planned for today. All right, and that brings us to our scripture today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9, verse 36. And by the way, the, the photograph that you're looking at is a modern-day picture of the town called Jaffa, J-A-F-F-A, -F -F -A, and it's the same city that we used to call Joppa, and that's referred to in the story. I, I honestly hope I can get to go there myself because it looks like an absolutely beautiful place. All right, starting in verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. All right, so here we have the story of one of the most amazing miracles in the Bible. Um, but honestly, what demonstration of power could be more convincing than someone being raised from the dead? Well, how about God doing it through an ordinary man? In this case, Peter, all right? I do think that there are some notes worth making here. So let's, let's dig into this story a little bit. First, Peter was a man, but he was also completely sold out for Jesus. Peter was an all-in, full of faith, obedient to the point of death disciple. And while God certainly could use anyone he wanted to as a conduit, to raise someone from the dead. If you notice here, God didn't choose Bob, the goes to church occasionally, wants to go on a mission trip someday, Christian, to perform this miracle through. Instead, God chose a devout follower. So this is, this is my first question for you to consider tonight. On a scale of Bob, the lukewarm Christian on one end, and Peter, the send me anywhere, I'll go anywhere on the other end. Where do you fall on that scale? 
Do you fall closer to Bob or do you fall closer to Peter? Something to think about. The second thing I want you to notice is who God raised from the dead. Because he could have used Peter to raise anyone, right? There's, I'm sure, lots of people uh, who, who died about that time. He could have chosen many, many people for Peter to raise from the dead. But he didn't choose to raise someone obscure. Instead, he chose to raise Tabitha. And, and I believe he chose to raise her because she was an encourager. She gave herself to and encouraged the poor and the widows in her community. Um, you know, the scripture says that, that she made these beautiful clothes and that she was always doing good deeds. So he chose a woman who, I, I don't want to use the word deserve to be raised from the dead, but certainly someone who was also all into her faith, right? She, she served a totally different role than Peter, right? She wasn't going town to town preaching the gospel. She was right there in her hometown or in the town she lived in, encouraging people, especially the poor and the widows. So this is my next question for you to think about tonight. Because if you look through the word, there is no question that the Bible specifically highlights the importance of helping certain people groups, all right? Specifically, the poor, widows, orphans, prisoners, foreigners, and the sick. So as you think about how you spend your time, talent, and spiritual gifts, how are you doing helping these specific people groups? Again, the poor, the widows, the orphans, prisoners, foreigners, and the sick. Something for you to think about. You know, I've talked about groups like ours who are, um, you know, making small groups and going out and specifically seeking those who are lost. And I told you, we, we go out looking for people who are pipsy. Uh, and it's the, the poor international prisoner and sick. That's the P-I-P-S. Um, it's the same concept. How are you doing helping those specific people? All right. The third thing that I want you to notice here is that Peter was obedient and expected the miraculous. Let me tell you what I mean by that. First of all, of course, he was obedient to go to another city. Now, we could easily take this for granted. Uh, as for us, uh, you know, moving from town to town in our cars is pretty easy. I don't live in the town I'm sitting in right now. And it took all of, I don't know, half an hour for, for us to get in the truck and drive over here, right? It was, it was easy. It was no problem. And it, and it was cheap. And it took a half an hour. Even moving just a few miles was a, was a big deal 2,000 years ago. There was no such thing as easy travel 2,000 years ago. But more than that, Peter was ready to follow the Holy Spirit, to follow Jesus' instructions, regardless of what 
he said. In other words, no matter what the Holy Spirit told him to do, Peter was ready to do it. And I want you to think about this because there, as I read this scripture, there is no indication that anyone knew Tabitha was going to be raised from the dead before it happened. Not even Peter. I mean, think about it. They were all standing around the body talking about the clothes that Tabitha had made and remembering her. Remember that just a moment ago, we read that part of scripture. They're, they're in the room and, and the widows are pointing out the robes and the clothes. That's something you do at a funeral. That is not something you do at a raise somebody from the dead party, okay? And I believe um, that nobody knew what was about to happen. And think about it. Remember when Jesus lay, uh, raised Lazarus from the dead? Nobody knew he was going to do that either until he did it. He, he had said a few things, a, a few cryptic comments to the other disciples as they traveled to where Lazarus was. But if you remember the story, when they showed up, um, Lazarus' sisters were very upset. And, and Jesus comforts them. And quite frankly, they kind of they kind of were, you know, upset with Jesus because he hadn't shown up in time to save their brother. And, and Jesus waited until there was a cloud of witnesses. He waited until a whole bunch of people were around. And then he went to the tomb. And when he went to the tomb, all the people, even the, the local Jews who weren't followers of Jesus, they all followed him out to the tomb because they thought, you know, they were going to go mourn at the tomb. And then what did Jesus do? He raised Lazarus from the dead. And in kind of similar fashion, he called Lazarus' name and said, hey, Lazarus, come out. Uh, and, and one of the most interesting parts of that story is, I think, Lazarus' sister going, whoa, Jesus, you know, he's been in there for days. It's going to smell really bad. Don't move that rock. But of course, Lazarus got raised from the dead. And I believe the same concept was true here. I don't think anybody knew that Jesus was going to raise Tabitha from the dead until Jesus did it through Peter. You know, while scripture is not definitive here, let's look at the evidence. Peter kneels down by Tabitha and prays. About what? If he had knelt down to raise her from the dead, why pray? Why not just tell her to get up? But instead, Peter kneels down and prays. And I, I believe that Peter knelt down to pray and likely prayed what you might expect him to pray. He probably prayed for God to comfort the other widows. He probably prayed that other Christians would not be discouraged by Tabitha's Law. See, Tabitha encouraged those around her. She was one of those people that kept others going in their ministry. And probably he prayed that other disciples would follow Tabitha's example and lead meaningful God-honoring lives. And somewhere in that prayer, I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter and the Holy Spirit said, tell her to get up. 
Now hit the brakes. What? Tell her to get up? This is what I'm referencing as the most powerful evidence of Peter's obedience. The Holy Spirit tells Peter to raise Tabitha from the dead, and Peter just does what he's told. No argument, no second guessing. Peter obeys God and gets to be part of this incredible miracle. Tabitha is raised from the dead. So let's get real now. You're a believer. You know God's voice. You've been growing in your faith. Maybe you've experienced some smaller miracles than someone being raised from the dead. You are more and more obedient every day as you seek Jesus and, and work to become a better disciple. And now imagine that you are at a funeral and the Holy Spirit tells you, go over to the casket and in a voice loud enough for people to hear you, tell the person to get up. Would you do it? And if the answer is no, then what would it take for your faith to be so strong that if God told you to raise someone from the dead, that you would do it? How much more evidence do you need? How many more miracles do you need to see? How many more testimonials do you need to hear? And the last thing I want to point out, and one of the most important things for us not to lose sight of, is the result of the miracle. Verse 42 says that because of this, many, of this miracle, many people believed in the Lord. You see, that's the whole point of everything we do as Christians. Every command in the Bible is all for the same purpose so that people will believe in the Lord. Think about what God has given you. Gave you home, transportation, and clothes, and skills, and jobs. He's given you family and health. He's given you hope. He's given you peace. He's given you joy. And he's even given you an eternity in heaven. Why? Was it all just for you to keep to yourself? No. He has given you all those things. Yes, because he loves you, but also so that others will see God's blessings in your life. It is so that others will believe that Jesus is God. It is so that others will believe in the Lord. So my last question for you tonight is this. Will you share how God has blessed you so that others may believe in the Lord? Let's pray for that. Father, thank you for all of the many, many blessings you have given us. You have 
truly lavished us with your love, with your grace, with your mercy. Lord, thank you. Help us share our stories. Help us to tell others about this amazing love that you have given us. Help us to tell others about the miraculous things you have done in our own lives and the other things that we have seen you do for our brothers and sisters. Lord, you are so good. Just like that song, Lord, that we sang earlier, you are so very good. And you love us so very, very well. And there are millions, even billions of people who don't know your love. They've never heard your name. They've never felt your grace and your mercy. They've never experienced your joy or your peace, and they won't experience an eternity in heaven unless we tell them about you. So Lord, I pray that you would give us courage, strength, faith, and everything else that we need to be able to share the good news about your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. So what? Now what? By the way, I have a, there's a, there's a speaker who's, who says that a lot. And I, and I love the way he says it. So what? Now what? Where did you find yourself in this story? Did you when you thought about the Bob, the lukewarm Christian on one end and Peter, the all-in follower on the other end scale, where did you find yourself? Are you ready for God to tell you anything because you're willing to follow no matter where he sends you, even if he tells you to go take someone's hand and raise them from the dead? Or is that where you are? Or are you a little closer to Bob? You know, regardless, I want you to think, please, what will you do this week? Not next week, not next month, not next year. What will you do this week to move a little more toward Peter on that scale? And, and what if you don't find yourself on the scale at all? What if you don't follow Jesus yet? Would you like to live a life of purpose and power and meaning? If you do, stay on the Zoom after we end, and I'll show you how you can start that journey today. Okay, shifting gears. What would you do if an angel showed up at your house today and told you to go on a special mission for God? <laughs> well, that is what we're going to talk about next week, so don't miss it. Thank you for being part of our Steepleless family. We love you, and we'll see you next week. Take care.